going to be honest with everyone. I just sat here and Googled what are cool ways to say hello because I haven't been sitting with this mic or recording a podcast episode in so long that I literally forgot how to greet people. I'm going to try my best. Hi, simple. It is Emily Diogordo, your box office babe. I am very excited to be back. I apologize that I haven't posted in so long. For people who are tuning in and have seen me slash heard me before, thank you for coming back. A lot of you follow me on Instagram at Box Office Babe Podcast, and you sent me nice messages and commented on photos, so I know that you're still here, and I appreciate that. To anyone who's new, hey, I also appreciate you. Before we hop into today's episode, and before I actually say what I'm going to be talking about, I do want to call out... In a very positive way, this is a positive call-out. The Spotify wrapped. I did not know that podcast got this. I don't know what in my brain didn't register that since I make content, I would get a response. But because Box Office Babe podcast is on Spotify, I got a wrapped. And it told me that 547 people listen to me and this podcast more than any other podcast on the platform, I am so freaking thankful. It's insane. When I saw this, I was expecting like maybe 15 to 20 people, but 547 is an insane number. I am so thankful. So I'm going to say it again. Thank you for tuning in again. If you are, thank you for tuning in for the first time. (sighs) It's insane. With that done, I can hop into what the heck we're going to talk about today. If you follow the Instagram that I already plugged, you know what I'm going to be chatting about, and it is, da 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 drumroll, however that's supposed to sound, Ladybird. I will say, right off the bat, love this movie. I think this movie rocks. I watched it when it first came out, which was in 2017. I've watched it far too many times since then. And yes, guys, stop it. I do sob hysterically every time I watch it. Fine. Whatever. We all do it. I'm not embarrassed. I do have actually the most insane photo of me when I I used to have these glasses that they legitimately look like the glasses that Harry Potter wears. And I have a picture of me sitting alone in my dorm, like really late at night. I think it was right before people went home for winter break or something. And I was like the only person in my dorm at this point. And I had just watched Ladybird, and I have this picture, and I took it on Snapchat, so it has, like, the lined caption, and it's a picture of me sobbing, and my face is soaking wet, and I'm wearing the Harry Potter glasses, and all it says is Ladybird. <laughs> and I have, like, a collection. I had one for Haunting of Hill House. I literally have one from One Tree Hill, and it's always just me crying, and then it'll say Haunting of Hill House. So, just a little aside, I love Ladybird. If you've been here before... You know what I do. If you haven't, here's what's going to go down. I start with the topic. We've already done it. Boom. Number one is done. Then I actually give you my rating out of five stars because I am not a fan of having to wait till the end to figure out what this person thinks. It's kind of why we're all here, I'm guessing, is to see what I thought about this and why. So after that, I'll delve into why I have my opinions, where they stem from, what I liked, what I didn't, etc., And then at the end, I actually have questions from people on Instagram about this movie that I'm going to answer. 
and it's more based on what you guys want to hear, which is very exciting. So let's just hop right into it. I'm going to rate this five stars. I I don't know what to say yet because I don't want to over explain at the beginning. This is a five star movie. I think it's nearly perfect. There are like very small things that I would change. I'm not going to sit down and be like, this is a 4.83. I think it's a five, or at least it's almost there, if you know what I mean. I adore this movie. I think it has an unbelievable cast. Some of my favorite dialogue ever. I am very much a dialogue person. I like movies and shows for a lot of reasons. But the number one thing that I've noticed in every movie that I just adore is dialogue, how people talk to each other. I think I really like show, not tell in novels and in in media where it's like you don't have to be spoon fed everything. But I think that Greta Gerwig, who directed and wrote this, is very good at tell and show. She gives you both. And so you can watch the actors provide you with a lot of emotion and a lot of of unspoken sort of feelings like you don't have to be told at every moment what these people are feeling but you as an intelligent viewer can feel it with them it's a very active lively experience watching a Greta Gerwig film okay fine she's only written and directed two she's up for another she's doing the Barbie movie which is crazy I will be watching she also did Little Women I have an episode on that as well I'm a huge Greta Gerwig fan I have a shirt with her name on it whatever I can admit that I fangirl a bit. I just really, really appreciate the way that she sort of tenderly presents different topics and moments and people and experiences. It's very sweet and sentimental and purposeful, and I love the way that she composes these stories. And And what is so exciting about Lady Bird for me is that it is a coming-of-age film, and there are so many of these, and I like them a lot. Like, for example, Dead Poet Society, 8th Grade, these are some of these these coming-of-age movies that I really enjoy, and I think were done so well. Lady Bird is up there with me, definitely top five. And Greta Gerwig did a phenomenal job adapting Little Women, because she's a great writer and a great director. But Lady Bird was her first directorial debut for, for a movie that she was just doing on her own. And she wrote, directed, and then sort of like created a form of coming of age film that feels very unique to me maybe that's just a singular opinion totally fine but I think coming of age movies can be very stereotypical and that doesn't make them bad but there is something to how unique this film is while still being really universally understood you don't have to be anything like Lady Bird or her mother or her father or her friends or anybody for that matter, to understand what's important about it and to enjoy it. I will say, and I'm going to ramble slightly because that's what I do, I've seen a lot of people online complain that this movie doesn't have a plot. People often crave certain characterizations or plot devices in films because I do think that this sort of A24 formulaic thing that isn't formulaic but is sort of common among this production company where every film doesn't really feel like it was made to be watched, if that makes any sense. For Lady Bird, I think the scope of the narrative is so interesting because you're here for an hour and a half, an hour 45, with Lady Bird, who's your protagonist, and all these different people, and it truly feels like she and those in her life are not doing anything for your viewing. 
They are just doing what they would always do and living their life and nothing has been altered because of a special circumstance or a climax in the story. It is sort of, it is linear because things go up, but it is sort of stagnant in the way that it is consistent with what you would expect them to act like had you not been present to watch. And I love movies like this. I think that is the show and tell mixture that Greta has created. And it just feels like Sergio Ronan and Laurie Metcalf and these people invited us to come watch their lives for a day or a week or however long. And they just pretend like you're not there. And I like that we're invited in and then we can we can leave and we don't miss anything. But we take so much from this unaltered reality. I love movies like this. So five stars. Boom. Now I'm going to do my very insane anal organized way of explaining why I like it. But I do like to start off with a brief synopsis, a little info about the cast, that sort of stuff. So Doug, Greta Gerwig, how many times can I say your name? Say it five times fast. No, I don't want to. This movie is headed by Saoirse Ronan, Beanie Feldstein, Laurie Metcalf, Lucas Hedges, Tracy Letts, Timothy Chalamet, Jake McDormand. I could go on for a while. It has an unbelievable cast. I really appreciate, and I did not notice this the first or second or third time I watched this, but in doing research and really understanding through interviews and articles how this movie was approached, that a lot of the actors in this movie are from the stage. Like, these are theater actors, and this makes so much sense to me because in watching Lady Bird, the first thing I noticed was its theatricality, and that doesn't mean it's, like, overstated or overacted in any way. I think that term is sort of misconstrued. I think what it means to me is there is, like, a certain emotionality to stage acting that is, like, very organic and interesting and sort of, like, saturated. And I noticed in even just, like, the facial acting of these people that they clearly had a place on a stage because it's a totally different type of acting. And I had watched interviews with Greta Gerwig talking about the fact that she is someone who now lives in New York City and obviously is an, an actor, was an actor, directs films, loves theater. And a lot of the people that she cast in this movie, she had seen on the stage. She didn't grow up with TV. She knew Laurie Metcalf, who is unbelievable. She knew her from stage acting and not from anything like a movie or a show. And I really appreciated that because it does feel organic the way that these people are acting. It doesn't feel like acting. And I think a lot of people say this about a lot of movies, and it's quite possibly true about many. But specifically for Lady Bird, it feels like these people are people. And I really want more movies to feel this way, or at least movies of this genre, to feel less contrived and to feel very organic and natural and sort of moving with life as it goes. That is the cast. Boom. If I say boom again, holy shit it's insane it's my new crutch i actually have a whole section later about how i think ladybird who is our protagonist her name is christine she goes by ladybird and her mother are insanely similar and like the parallels of of their personalities and their character are what make them butthead so often i would actually if i may relate this to the way that i viewed amy and joe in the little women adaptation from greta and what I mean by this is clearly, if you've seen it or if you've read the book, there are a lot of sort of issues between communication and understanding and sort of just arguing in general between Amy and Joe. 
Amy is younger, Joe is older, but they're so similar to me. They're both incredibly strong-willed. They really believe in backing their opinion. They are sort of like narrow in their view. And what I think is interesting is in Little Women, it's like Joe just doesn't want to be a wife and Amy does. And sort of conventionally, we're supposed to side with Joe because it's so feminist that she doesn't want to be a wife. But in my opinion, it is equally as feminist for Amy to be aware of her circumstances and her role in life and to want to have a family. And even if she wasn't aware of her role and she just wanted to be a wife, I don't think that makes it inherently unfeminist. And so I think it's so interesting that it seems that they butt heads so much because they're both the same kind of person, but they just want different things. And that is what they argue about. They're so incapable of understanding how similar they are. I think that's the same for this. Interestingly, the initial screenplay for Lady Bird was literally 350 pages, which is insane. It was originally titled Mothers and Daughters, which makes a lot of sense given that the core of this film is about a mother and daughter relationship and the complexities of that. This film was nominated for a lot of Academy Awards, including Best Actress for Saoirse Ronan, Best Picture, Best Director, Best Supporting Actress for Laurie Metcalf, Best Original Screenplay. I watched several interviews with Greta. I think that's such an important part of understanding how a film was made. And a lot of people generally think that the film is sort of biographical because it takes place in Sacramento and Lady Bird goes to a Catholic high school and you know, there's this sort of, like, theatricality to her. She likes to act. You could sort of tie this to Greta. She went to a Catholic high school. She is from Sacramento. She is an actor. And there is that sort of, like, baseline of similarity. But Greta Gerwig herself said that she was the opposite of Lady Bird in real life. And in her words, this movie rhymes with the truth. So there is truth to it, but it's not some sort of caricature that is from Greta herself. It may be parts of her, which I think is really interesting and tender and part of why there's so much liveliness to the film. But this is not just what Greta Gerwig's adolescence was like or anything like that. I think she sort of just tied her experiences and what she adored as an adolescent to what Lady Bird does and and tried to foil them in some form. Quite frankly, I just want to hop right into my 13 things. I think there's 13. That is a daunting number. Some of them are shorter than others. I will try to be succinct. I probably won't be, especially because I love the dialogue. I will be reading off scenes. They're for a reason, but I'm just letting you know in advance. So the first thing that I jotted down when I was rewatching this movie was the uniqueness in the form of bravery. And I think I've said this before just to people in my life that there is something really unique about this movie. It is a form of film that has been done countless times but it does it in its own way and and I think that there's something really brave about it specifically with the character of Lady Bird herself. Greta Gerwig said in an A24 promo video with an interview that she was trying to create a person who was braver than she had been or had the ability to be. She also said I think she's sort of allowing herself to be everything in order to find out which thing fits the best and to have that sort of bravery to pursue the thing without knowing what it is. And I think that is such an interesting way to place the language of what Lady Bird represents. I think it's very accurate, and I think putting her in a teenage body is perfect for that style of character because teenagers are sort of free-falling a lot of the time and make decisions that perhaps you wouldn't make as an adult or a child. It's sort of that middle ground of being brave and desiring different things and wanting to go about them certain ways. One thing that Greta Gerwig said that I was stunned by 
was that, and I'll quote it exactly. I'm going to do this a lot. She said, she, as in Ladybird, is the person doing the looking. She is not the object being looked at. She's agentive in her own life. She's lustful. She has desires. She goes after things. She's not waiting around for anybody to move her. And that feels obvious. But especially in movies about teenage girls or young women, so many of them are waiting to be looked at. I think that is such a beautiful way to describe what's unique about this movie. And it really isn't a dig on old films. I think it's just sort of a, a societal cultural thing where where women want to be looked at and it's sort of superficial and often stereotypical. Like a lot of teenage movies are just stereotypes. It's girls who are catty or girls who are mean and it's all about boys. And like this movie is about difficulty in friendship and growing up and liking boys, but it's about more and it's done in a different way. Greta also said that it wasn't until Saoirse Ronan herself had acted out the script because those two people, those women had been working on this before other people were involved. She said, that it wasn't until Saoirse acted the script that she truly saw Lady Bird as a character and she truly understood that it was someone she had no ability to be herself but she wanted to sort of ingrain in this other person and Saoirse's acting had embodied that that sort of free-flowing bravery and excitement of being a teenager. I love it. Number two on my list is Love as Attention. I'm hoping that if you're watching this, or listening actually, you're not watching anything. If you're listening to this, that you have seen this movie because I'm just going to spoil it. And I didn't give a spoiler alert. I don't know. Sort of self-explanatory. I can't talk about it without spoiling it. Number two on my list, love as attention. This to me is the core theme. It's like a thematic sort of statement that underlines the entire film. Greta Gerwig, in an interview with the New York Times, actually said, and this isn't even related to Lady Bird, she just said generally, that to make any art about something is an act of love because you're giving it time. I absolutely love the way that Greta phrases her beliefs about art, and this just reminds me of that phrase or motto or whatever you want to call it that people often reference, which is that the opposite of love is not hate, it's indifference. And to me, indifference is, is a lack of attention or a lack of time, or a lack of effort. And I agree that it feels so much worse for someone to ignore you or be disinterested in you than for them to dislike you because they're providing you with absolutely no attention. I think that possibly, I don't want to read too much into it, but I'm going to. I think possibly that Greta's belief that art and attention are a form of love or an act of love is exactly why it so naturally is ingrained in Lady Bird as a story and in the script. There is a scene Toward the latter end of the film where Christine Ladybird is sitting down with a nun at her Catholic school, a teacher, and they're talking about her college essay. College is a huge part of the film. Ladybird wants to go to New York. She's from Sacramento. She wants to get out and live the East Coast life. She wants to feel important and, and see a new world. Fine. Makes sense. But then she writes her college essay, and her teacher sits her down and says, You write about Sacramento so affectionately and with such care. Ladybird replies, Sure. I guess I pay attention. And then her teacher responds, don't you think that they are the same thing? Love and attention. That's it. They just leave us with this really incredible sort of philosophical thought about what love may be deemed as and how we should view it. I find this so unbelievable. I think Greta Gerwig is one of the best writers of our time. I would die on that hill. There's something about the way she uses language. This is actually one of my favorite scenes from the entire movie. I think it's unbelievable. Throughout the film, 
and I think I'll get into this a lot more, Ladybird, superficially, is attention-seeking. I think that's a really natural way to view her. She sometimes isn't likable. She's very flawed, which is part of just being a good, well-rounded character, a multidimensional person. And so you can see Ladybird as this very attention-seeking person. She wants all eyes on her. But for me, in retrospect, I consider this possibly a reflection of what she believes because could we perhaps view her need for attention as a result of this subconscious belief that she has that love is attention and so for someone who wants to be loved she would need to be seen often and I wonder if that's sort of a really natural way of of having viewers understand that Ladybird doesn't actively understand what she feels until this teacher tells her outright and it does tie so much to her character. The third thing that I loved about this film is the absence of villain. And what I mean by this is, again, very coming of age, there's always a bad guy. It's the mean mom or the shitty ex-boyfriend or the catty girl. And that's fine. Whatever. I'm not a huge fan. What I like about Ladybird is that there is no villainized person. They're all equally flawed. And it feels equal and, and natural. It appears on the surface Like, the story is begging the audience to choose a side between mother versus daughter because there are so many fights, and every type of viewer, particularly women of different ages and different experiences, will probably feel more comfortably similar to one or the other. But it really isn't the case that Greta wants you to choose a side. She actually said herself, What I really wanted to do was capture this idea that one person's coming of age is another person's letting go. And I didn't want the character of the mother to fall neatly into the category of either angel or monster. I really like that that is how she views this. I don't fully agree with completely villainizing a character, obviously dependent on the circumstance. Sometimes villains are just villains. But I like that the core of of this film is not mother versus daughter in the black and white sense, but more in the shades of gray sense, that they, they butt heads because they love each other and trying to understand why that very complex feeling comes and in what situations. And there are so many moments that Greta gives us of the mother on her own as an individual at work, seeing people at the store, writing notes at the table. And that is so important because making her an individual outside of her role as a mother is necessary to our understanding of who she is and the way she views her life. It's just completely different than if we only viewed things from Lady Bird's perspective because we would just naturally agree with her. And narrowing that too much would have sort of disrespected the role of being a person outside of being a parent. Number four, I call the juxtaposition of youth and adulthood. What I think is really essential to take away from the film is the difference between how Lady Bird views life and how her parents view life. And like I just said, the altered perspective is very helpful it's sort of threefold, maybe fourfold, where every single character clearly has a life and you could follow them each in their own movie. They're not just existing for Ladybird's life. And so when we watch Ladybird experience being a teenager and these very sort of retrospectively trivial things like her first kiss and her first dance and hanging with friends and smoking weed and all these these important things when you're a teenager, but to her parents probably feel trivial. It's very interesting to then turn and watch them sit down at the table and do bills or have a conversation about paying for college or help their son find a job because there is such a difference in experience that from Lady Bird's perspective, 
she will never fully understand, at least not for a while, even if she tried. But then it's also that sort of, that feeling of being naive as a teenager where you don't even want to understand because you don't think you should have to, and that's also valid. I think that juxtaposing them this way is so interesting, and it's essential to understanding what's important about the movie. For example, early on in the film, Lady Bird, her best friend Julie, who's played by Beanie Feldstein, an actress that I love, are watching houses. They are walking through expensive neighborhoods that they do not live in and watching homes and looking at homes and talking about which house they would want and what life they would live if they could live in such a beautiful house with the white shutters and the American flag hanging from the front door. And and there is this immediate tone that is set that class is important to these people as it is to most and that we should be attuned to that. We're shown from the beginning that they desire different lives. And it is very playful and sort of meaningless in some way that they just wander through neighborhoods and dream. When we follow Lady Bird in the movie, things seem very clear. And then later on, we are revealed different things from her parents that make it turn to shades of gray immediately. There are scenes where Lady Bird makes things seem black and white, and I think that allowing for her parents to have a voice is so interesting. Early on in the film, as we're watching Lady Bird have her first crush, but then it's her parents are in the bathroom talking about a close friend who died only 56, and it's so interesting to me that very often, and not always the case because a lot of teenagers are, are deeply mature, teenagers do rarely understand the stress of being a parent because they would never understand it unless they had to experience it. I think that's just a natural human thing, and the scope of knowledge can be so narrow. There is a sort of ignorance to it, and the way that your actions follow that. Christine, as a character, Ladybird, she has this unawareness paired with a selfishness that is so common in adolescence but is so frustrating from the parental role's perspective or someone on the outside. Like, I watched this with my parents for the first time, and I immediately felt sort of very much Team Ladybird in my first watch. I've gotten many years older, and I think now watching it feel really torn and almost equally sympathetic to either woman because I completely understand the feeling of being a parent and not understanding your child. But I also understand the feeling of being a teenager who doesn't feel understood and desires it so heavily and your parent doesn't really grasp what you want them to. It's just frustrating on all ends and it's very human and I like that. There's so much life in this movie and that's important to me as a viewer. There is this sort of, I call it a line that Ladybird uses more than once. She says playfully to people like Danny, who is a boy at school that she has a crush on. She will playfully say things like, I'm from the wrong side of the tracks. That brief comment is so interesting because it comes up later on with her mother and the reaction of her parents hearing this. And I'll get into that later, but I just think it's a really interesting example of Ladybird saying something and not thinking about what other people would feel about it. And I think that's just an inherently young thing to do. There is a point where they're at the grocery store and Christine is treading up Danny and pretending she knows who Jim Morrison is and talking about the school play and doing what teenagers do, having crushes. And she walks up to the checkout line. Her brother is checking them out and trying to give his discount for the store to the mother. And she very clearly cannot afford the groceries. And Lady Bird is standing there next to her mom as she watches through the receipts and all of her coupons And she's asking her brother who Jim Morrison is and making sure that she didn't embarrass herself in front of her crush. It doesn't make her bad, but there is an interesting 
ignorance and selfishness to it that I'm sure her mother is so attuned to and we as viewers are because we're on the outside, but that Lady Bird doesn't understand or even a little bit try to. I also think that mother-daughter relationships have such an interesting dynamic. The dynamic of a mother-daughter relationship is very difficult to capture. I think it's not always done perfectly. I also think that's fair because it's hard. But Laurie Metcalf and Saoirse Ronan do it perfectly. I had watched an interview with a panel of a lot of the actors in the film, along with Greta, in which Laurie and Saoirse discussed how they, before filming, rehearsed with each other a good amount so that they could understand when they had every single spat, every fight, every argument, even a little misunderstanding that it would be completely different. That when when we see them fight eight times, every single fight is for a different reason, in a different way, with a different tone. So for these women as actors to sit down and understand that and work through it and sort of cater different experiences to different feelings is so interesting to me and I think really relevant to the complexity of being a mother and being a daughter in that relationship. There is a scene where Lady Bird comes home. She's just had her first kiss. She was at the school dance. She's like screaming in the street and obviously very giddy. And then she walks in to this sort of deafening silence and her parents are looking over bills and she immediately is laid into by her mother about leaving her room dirty. And the conversation goes like this. Her mom says, we can't treat our clothes like this. I don't know what your wealthy friends do. Ladybird says, why do you care what I do to my clothes? Her mother replies, your father doesn't have a job. He lost his job. Do you need him to come in here and explain it to you? Of course, he probably wouldn't anyway. He's Mr. Nice Guy and I always have to be the bad guy. Ladybird says, can we just talk about this tomorrow? And her mom says, it can't look like a rag because that makes us look like rags. And you want to know the truth? Here's the truth. Some of your friend's fathers could employ your father, and they're not going to, if it looks like his family is trash. And then Ladybird asks her, didn't you ever go to sleep without putting all your clothes away perfectly, like even once? And don't you wish your mom hadn't gotten angry? I think what's so interesting, I can't stop saying the word interesting. I need to look at a freaking dictionary or something and decide a better way to express my thoughts. But what it is, is that I understand both women. Lady Bird had a great night and it got ruined by her mom being pissy. And her mom is sitting there trying to figure out finances and her freaking daughter can't even pick up her clothes. It is very clear to me that both women are right and both women are wrong. And that is what makes the argument feel so organic. There is a scene, and this is what I was talking about earlier, where the wrong side of the tracks comes up again. So Danny is now dating Lady Bird. He's invited her to Thanksgiving. And so she's upstairs getting ready, and he's inside with mom, dad, brother, and brother's girlfriend. And he's trying to make conversation. Very sweet. He says to Laurie Metcalf, the mother, Lady Bird always says that she lives on the wrong side of the tracks, but I thought that was like a metaphor. Because they do live over a train track, but that's not really what Lady Bird means by it. And you can see, just in Laurie Metcalf's face and her acting, her silent acting, that she is devastated that her daughter is going around joking about where they live. From the perspective of the mom, she's doing her best. And to Lady Bird, it's just a joke and conversation, and that is so hurtful. And then there's this night where she's clearly missed out on Thanksgiving, and she is just so happy to be with her new boyfriend. He's in this big, beautiful house, one of the houses that her and Julie at the beginning of the movie are admiring. And she's the new guest, and people 
like her and give her attention. And so to direct the narrative that way is genius because it's so touching and so detailed and we're replacing the same language in completely different circumstances and it means something entirely different. And there's something so precious and new about the feeling of Ladybird being in this new space and she probably feels so ignored at home or unnoticed and to get that attention from Danny and his family is why she wants to go there for Thanksgiving, which you can understand, but you also feel so bad for the family who's just trying to support her. Even in these brief moments, she comes home from Danny's. Her and her friends have smoked weed, and they, they're they acting insane. They're high, and they don't know how to act, and they're hanging out in the kitchen, and Mom comes in. She's just sort of disconnected. There's, like, no way not to be distanced from that sort of experience. And she just says, we missed you, Ladybird. And you can understand on both ends why, and it's still hard to watch. And then she... Later on, Ladybird is smoking a clove with Shelly, who's her brother's girlfriend. And Shelly says, your mom was really sad that you weren't here tonight for Thanksgiving. Ladybird says, yeah, well, she hates me. Shelly replies, she's a big heart, your mom. She took me in after my parents freaked out about whatever premarital sex. I admire her. And I think the way that the conversation is unraveled is so tender. The difference of Shelly's opinion to Ladybird is is what later makes Ladybird give her mom a break. And it's sort of like Ladybird's initial reaction is that her mom doesn't like her or that she hates her. And Shelly is sort of the voice of reason saying, no, she's a wonderful person. And there's a different way to look at her. And it's not just your way. Following Thanksgiving, there's a scene at Christmas where they're trying to do gifts. And the mom is just clearly trying to make everyone enjoy themselves and know she hasn't provided superficially a lot of things she says i'm sorry it's a small christmas we wanted to you know it's just small this year and she's so concerned with making her family happy despite all of her concerns surrounding money and it just shows how much she cares even in times where she's stressed and and maybe she's yelling at ladybird or she's she's upset about something like a shirt on the floor that feels so unimportant but to her it's just another thing, and she clearly cares so deeply, but when we just see Ladybird's perspective, she seems so cold. That difference is really important. There is a scene, one of my favorites of the movie, where the mom and daughter are in their family bathroom at home. There are two scenes in this movie, this is one of the two, that uses mirrors very well and a reflection, and in both scenes, it's mom and daughter, daughter looking at mother. And it is so interesting that it is like a reflective moment in which the daughter is so attuned to her mom. In this scene, Ladybird has just taken a shower and she was looking through a medicine cabinet. She sees pills for her father. She asks her mom, is dad depressed? Her mom says, why do you ask that? And she says, the pills. They have dad's name on them. Mom says, dad's been struggling with depression for years. And Ladybird, choking on tears at this point, like un unbelievable acting, says, I didn't know that. Mom says, money is not life's report card. Ladybird asks her, he's depressed about money? She says, being successful doesn't mean anything in and of itself. It just means that you're successful. And Ladybird says, yeah, but then you're successful. And her mom says, but that doesn't mean that you're happy. To which Ladybird replies, but he's not. It's just, ugh. Ladybird isn't wrong. She's not wrong to question that he's not happy even though he's not successful. But her mom's not wrong for making clear that success isn't happiness. They're both right. And that's what makes so many of their conversations almost hard to gauge because you have no idea who to side with. And that's what's so interesting about this movie. 
later on, Lady Bird actually acts like a dick a little bit. It's funny. She acts like a dick at a sort of um, like a sex education talk about abortion at her school, like an assembly. She gets suspended and (laughs) she comes home. Her parents are clearly upset. Her mom says, everything we do is for you, everything. Do you think I like driving that car around? Do you? Do you think I like working double shifts at the psych hospital? You think your dad and I don't know how ashamed you are of us? Your dad knows. Your dad knows why you ask him to drop you off a block away from school every day. You make him feel horrible, horrible. Do you know that? And there's only just brief interruptions by Lady Bird where she's like, no, 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 I didn't mean it. I'm sorry. And the mom goes to her, to the father, you can't just be the nice guy. She has to know. She has to know how you feel. Otherwise, she's just going to think she can say anything and nobody ever gets hurt. Wrong side of the tracks. And then Lady Bird says, I didn't mean it that way. It was a joke, which is exactly what I was saying. She says it playfully to garner a laugh. But to her mom, it means so much more. And she says, oh, yeah, it's just a joke. Mom and dad, they don't care. We didn't think that we'd be in this house for 25 years. We thought we would have moved someplace better. Whatever we give you, it's never enough. It's never enough. It's so emotional. Like, it's hard to talk about because you really can feel how much the parents have tried to do for their children. And that feeling of ungratefulness is probably like a fucking dagger to the heart. They gave them an education at a fancy school only for their children to feel ungrateful because they don't have as much as the other kids. But then, again, you can understand Ladybird wanting to be like everyone else and feeling out of place. Her mom says, do you know how much it costs to raise you and what you're throwing away every single day? Ladybird says, give me a number. Give me a number. And her mom's like, I don't understand what you're saying. She says, you give me a number for how much it costs to raise me and I'm going to get older make a lot of money, and write you a check for what I owe you so that I never have to speak to you again. They are so similar in the fact that when they're frustrated or they're upset, they're cruel. And then there's also this interesting moment where class is so clear, and they are so similar again, and later on, after having a bad experience, Lady Bird comes to her mom, hysterical. And her mom says, you want to do our favorite Sunday activity, the activity being touring houses that they could never afford. The houses that Lady Bird was staring at with Julie at the beginning of the film, there's no dialogue. You're just watching them explore. The joy that they get from pretending to be in a different life is almost hard to watch. And there are moments where Laurie Metcalf stares. She takes in what she doesn't have. And then there's a scene later. I I couldn't talk enough about this because it is the core of the movie, quite frankly. Later on, her father is interviewing at a company and they are just not giving him the time of day because of his age and then he walks out of the interview knowing he he doesn't have it to find his son 24 maybe walking in for the same interview he fixes his tie he says good luck and he goes about his day and it's just the most incredible feeling as a viewer of seeing a father support his son despite any pain he may feel and any disappointment and any embarrassment this idea of love's attention comes up again because after ladybird applies to colleges on the east coast without her mom's permission with her dad her mom legitimately ignores her doesn't talk to her and you can find yourself watching ladybird get so upset not even at her mom being upset with her but that she's ignoring her And she's yelling at her as her mom says nothing. I know I can lie, not be a good person. Please, mom, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to hurt you. I appreciate everything you've done for me. I'm ungrateful and I'm so sorry. I'm sorry I wanted more. She's reproducing the language that her mom provided her in that earlier argument where she said, give me a number. 
But now it hurts so much more to her because obviously Lady Bird values attention as a form of love. And her mom saying nothing is worse than her mom being upset and verbalizing that. And so these juxtapositions of Lady Bird's growing up in these exciting moments for her and then entering a home to find her parents experiencing hardship is so important. And the way that it's established through language and this dialogue and just the film itself, the way that it's filmed with visuals, it's just amazing. So number five on my list is called Like Her Love. Thank you, thank you. I think it's a great title. Where Lady Bird is looking for a prom dress at a store with her mom and she's in and out of the dressing room. And she comes out in this dress. It's like bright pink and sparkly and crazy. And she just looks at herself and she goes, I love it. And her mom's only response is, "Mm, is it too pink? This is the scene, the second scene with the reflection. Her mom says, is it too pink? And you can see Lady Bird looking through the mirror and watching her mother. And it's like she got punched in the face or the gut. And it's, it's so clear on her face that all she wanted was for her mom to say she looked good. She goes back in the dressing room without a word. And she just quietly says, why can't you say that I look nice? Her mom says, I thought you didn't even care what I think. Very teenager thing to do, to be like, I do what I want. I don't care what you think, mom. But deep down, you always really do. And you want your mom to admire you. And she says, I still want you to think that I look good. Her mom says, okay, I'm sorry. I was telling you the truth. You want me to lie? And Lady Bird says, no, I mean, I just wish that you liked me. And her mom goes, of course I love you. And then Lady Bird comes out slowly and says, but do you like me? Her mom says, I want you to be the very best version of yourself that you can be. And Lady Bird asks her, what if this is the best version? And I I wrote in my notes, this fucks me up so badly, it's insane. (laughs) I think I just have had that experience, feeling like my parents didn't like me, but they loved me because I was their kid. And and them swearing they did, but you at this age just not believing it. And their criticism of you when they're trying to help feels so hurtful. And you just want them to like you. And it feels like they're not getting there. And it's just the most insane language. It's so well written. The acting is incredible. And I think it's the best scene because it is very quiet. They fight differently every time. This is sort of an argument of being like, mom, what the hell? And they're not agreeing, but there is a sort of tender middle ground. And it isn't a spat in the car where she jumps out and gets a cast. It's not an argument where you throw the notepad and you ask for a number for how much it costs to raise you. It's a a true disagreement of Ladybird saying, I just want you to like me, and her mom saying, well, I love you. I called it like her love because I've always felt that they're not the same thing. It's just so different to like someone for who they are and to love them for what they are to you. I thought that scene handled that perfectly. I labeled number six on my list, the curse of being like your mother, and I call it a curse because it is clearly what Ladybird views as a curse. It's like a cursed quality to be like your mom and to so heavily want to be different. They do a really wonderful job, Laurie and, and Sersha, of establishing an unspoken understanding and playing into that natural quality of disagreement and pettiness that mothers and daughters often have with each other. As seen in the first scene, the first scene, they show this immediate change between the two of them crying to an audiobook to just full on screaming at each other. The importance of identifying how quickly that dynamic can change is so 
interesting. There are scenes later on where, for example, Danny and Ladybird are laying in a field. And Danny says, your mom's hard on you. And Ladybird says, yeah, well, she loves me a lot. So even in frustration or when people have noticed a weird dynamic, she defends her mom. And sort of in arguments with her mother, she never would. But when other people come for her mother's character or question it, she is the first one to defend it. And I think she sees a lot of her mother and herself, and that's a really confusing feeling. There is a scene, another wonderful scene, that causes me to cry. I cried to it last night, where Danny, who turns out to be gay, um, and he was hiding it from Ladybird, comes to apologize and sort of make amends at a cafe that she works at. And Ladybird looks at him and says, you're gay. And he just says, oh, fuck me. Can you please not tell anyone? I'm so sorry about everything. I'm so ashamed about all of it. It's just, it's going to be bad, and I, I need a little bit of time to figure out how I'm going to tell my mom and dad. And, and Lady Bird just interrupts him and says, don't worry, I won't tell. And immediately after this, there is this beautiful part of the score that is from this scene of her and Danny to a scene of her mother. And they are back to back, and her mom is sitting with Lady Bird's theater teacher. Her mom works in a psych hospital, and this man is clearly confiding in her about something he's struggling with and she just goes do you have a support system he asks what do you mean she asks him who do you turn to when you feel this way and he says no one I guess I'm sorry she says no don't be sorry there's no wrong answer and all he says is please don't tell your daughter so it is to me a purposeful act on Greta's part to put a scene of Ladybird being the one someone can confide in and being concerned for someone's well-being directly next to her mother doing the same thing, they feel like the same person here. And I think that because they argue so much, you wouldn't remember that they're similar, and this is a beautiful way to remind you that they are. Later on in the film, after the college mishap and her mom is not talking to her, it is her birthday. She's turning 18. Her dad is the only one who comes to say anything. He brings her a cupcake in bed. And Ladybird asks, does mom hate me? hate that word again her dad says you both have such strong personalities she doesn't know how to help you and it frustrates her i wonder how degrading that must feel when you put so much out there for your children and they don't accept it and you can't do anything to make them do so and and so again they can understand each other through themselves because they're both so stubborn and strong-minded and then even later on, it's just so clear that when one of them is hurting, they, they turn to stubbornness and cruelty. So you can't really fault either for it, or you must fault them both. Which is a really wonderful way to remind people that we're not all so different, and that a lot of the times the things that we dislike in other people, we do ourselves, and trying to understand what that means. Lucky number seven, my lucky number. On my list, I called the naivety of adolescence. It started with an interview where Greta Gerwig said that she was on a subway in New York and she heard two teen girls talking, one of them saying to the other, I wish I could live through something. And she said she just laughed and wrote it down. And it's one of the big lines of the movie. Greta says, I think that there is such an understandable feeling there, particularly for teenagers, feeling like life is happening somewhere else and not to you. That I think when you're a teenager, you're trying to figure out who you are through the refraction and reflection of other people. It's reaching for a definition of oneself through relationships and sometimes rejecting the ones who are close to you because you're sure that someone else is better. Someone would reflect a better self to you. She calls this the necessary narcissism of youth. And she says she has so much sympathy for it 
because she's interested in people who seem to bump up against something that feels almost manic and like it's too much because having the space as a writer to explore characters who didn't even seem to get the memo because of their freedom. For me, this feeling of youth and its giddiness and its excitement, its playfulness is so interesting and it's what starts out the film. Sir Ronan and Lucas Hedges, who plays Danny, going back and forth and, and being sweet, her daydreaming in class, the giddy feeling after her first kiss, her running through the street and screaming because she's kissed a boy and, and that feeling to develop a crush that is so specific to adolescence. There is sort of a similar giddiness between Julie and Ladybird and all these little moments. It is like a blushy, giddy, young thing. And honestly, Ladybird is just naive. Most people are when they're teenagers. A lot of people are when they're adults. It's such a natural thing as a human being to be naive and to want something you can't have and to view the world through a very narrow perspective. And that's okay. But I think the way that it's written and the way that it's presented in the acting performances is necessary to understanding why issues arise as they do in this family. Number eight, <laughs> number eight on my list is very specific to me and my friends. I call it nothing new. <laughs> this is because Taylor Swift, I'm a big Taylor Swift fan, recently re-recorded her album called Red. My favorite song from what she calls The Vault is called Nothing New. It features Phoebe Bridgers, another artist that I really like. And the song is essentially, to me, about this very inherently feminine feeling of being a woman and being discarded and being pushed away, being told one thing and then criticized for following through. And there's a line in it that says, how did I go from growing up to breaking down? It reminded me so much of the experiences that Ladybird as a protagonist has because she sacrifices trust and closeness with her mother so that she can move away for college and find herself in New York with this fresh life only for her to end up being lost and unhappy in this unfamiliar space. I think it's so funny how we crave escape only to end up being lost and the song makes me feel that. I can really relate. It's, it's baffling how little I know for myself and for others. And when you watch Lady Bird finally get to New York and try to make friends and drink and go to a party and, you know, be a girl in college. And then to wake up in the hospital and take herself to church, which is something that she sort of shunned because of her Catholic school and because her parents made her go, but it's where she feels at home and she feels safe and comfortable and so she turns back to it and that's a very natural thing to do but the way that that happens it really reminds me of how did I go from growing up to breaking down she just wanted to come into her age and to learn new things and be this exciting person and now she's crying at church with mascara smeared across her face and a horrible hangover she's trying to call her parents because she's realizing what she didn't know at first and I think that's such an important thing to express in this way the last part of the film is her calling her parents. She still hasn't talked to her mom. She says, hi, mom and dad. It's me, Christine. It's the name you gave me. It's a good one. The reason that's such a good line is because the whole movie, she's like, my name's Christine, but I go by Ladybird. It's a name given to me by me. And her parents sort of fight a little bit. So she says, it's the name you gave me. It's a good one. She accepts her name. She even introduces herself as Christine at a party. It's just so interesting how she wanted to be Ladybird so badly to be different at her school, and now that she is so different and unknown, 
She turns back to her roots and her name that's on her birth certificate. And she says, hey mom, did you feel emotional the first time you drove in Sacramento? I did, and I wanted to tell you, but we weren't really talking when it happened. All those bends I've known my whole life, and stores and the whole thing, I wanted to tell you I love you. Thank you. Thank you. And in this moment, as she's on the phone, you see flashes where she is in the exact same position as her mother, driving in the same places, and you see you see flashes of Sacramento and the two of them. It's exactly what I've been saying this whole time is that they are so similar and they lack an understanding that should be more clear. And she turns back and is more retrospective because she's looking back and hindsight is really 2020 and she's probably thinking, holy shit, I forced myself into New York and now what do I do? So to see her go from drinking at a party to introducing herself differently to to going to church and then to calling her parents, it's a perfect ending to a movie. I'm glad that that's where it ended. And if you haven't yet, stream Red Taylor's version. Whoop. It, oh, that song is so goddamn good. It makes me feel sick. <sighs> Number nine, I call The Difference Between Hope and Reality, which I think is sort of part of the naivety of, of Sir Ronan's character. And, and I just think the difference is so important. So, for example, there's a boy named Kyle, played by Timothy Chalamet. Sort of indifferent, cool guy, plays guitar smokes cigs but he like hand rolls them and he cares about the economy and politics and he's just very skeptical of the world it's very interesting for her and we can watch her on many occasions in this movie face her contrived expectations and the realities that are actually in place she desires kyle because he's popular and they spend time together and she just acts so different and she's trying to prove herself and she has sex with him. She loses her virginity to Kyle. She's laying there saying, we deflowered each other. We have each other's flowers. I'm so happy. And he's like, I did not lose my virginity to you. And the immediate acting choice of Saoirse Ronan for her face to drop and you can feel her sort of inhale. He says, I've probably slept with like six people. She's like, you don't even know if it's six people? He says, I don't keep a list. <laughs> and she says, well, why wouldn't you keep a list? We're in high school. I just had an experience that was wrong. I wanted it to be special. They are still going to prom together, even though he doesn't deserve her. And he pulls up outside her house and honks the horn. Doesn't come to the door, even get out to greet her. And her dad just looks at her and says, you aren't going to get in the car with a guy who honks, are you? And she says, I think, yeah, I, I am. And her brother Miguel says, even you deserve better than this. Because, again, love is attention. And he's so indifferent to her. And he provides her with nothing. And, and there's this, this second experience that is so similar, the difference between what she hopes for and what is real. She wants to be popular. She tries to befriend, and she eventually does, a girl named Jenna, who's wealthy and, and similar to Kyle in the sense that there's just a lack of understanding and an ignorance that doesn't make them bad but it does change the way that they can view experiences that Ladybird has. And, and there's a point where Ladybird is so embarrassed by her home compared to Jenna that she lies. She says she lives at the house where Danny's grandmother lives, which is where they do Thanksgiving. And then Jenna finds out and she's like, why did you say it was your house? And Ladybird says, I wish I lived in that house. And Jenna replies, I don't even sort of understand why somebody would lie about that. And it's just a really simple, quick example of a disconnect in their experiences because Ladybird clearly feels out of place. She feels weird and poor and sort of 
unregarded and she cherishes all these moments of high school that these popular kids do not. Number 10 on my list, I call A Love Letter to Sacramento. Like I said earlier, this is sort of semi-autobiographical. There are consistencies because Greta Gerwig grew up in Sacramento, California. She went to a private Catholic school. She went to college in New York City. These are things that Lady Bird does. There is this interesting thing with Joan Didion, who's an author from Sacramento. And there is an interview where Greta talks about remembering reading her. She says, I had never read a writer who was a woman where I was from. It was the first moment that I was able to glimpse a reality where I didn't have to be a different person to be an artist. There was an instant recognition. Ugh, I just love it. I just wanted to say it. I think it's so beautiful. She said, I really wanted to make a movie that was a reflection on home and what home means. How does leaving home define what it is for you and your love for it? I felt like it was a love letter to Sacramento. What better way to make a love letter than through somebody who wants to get out and then realizes they love it? Ugh, it's this thing I've been talking about. Like, Lady Bird doesn't even realize how much she loves home until she's gone. It's so true. Everybody wants what they can't have, and then you miss your past. I do it all the time. It's not a fun feeling, and Lady Bird is not alone here. And that connection with them driving through these spaces, and she's so sure of what she wants, but Greta has ingrained a love for this place that Lady Bird shares with her. And Joan Didion and other people from this region, I think it's quite beautiful. Number 11, the look of nostalgia. I really like how this movie looks. Greta actually worked with the cinematographer. They got in touch with colorist Alex Bickle, who did Moonlight, one of my favorite movies ever, and one of the most beautifully filmed movies ever. And they worked with Levy on this pre-production process to develop something unique, a unique quality to the film. They said, I wanted the film to look like a memory, And Greta Gerwig explains this so interestingly. She reaches her arm out and puts her hand as far from her face as possible and says, I want the film to be over there. And so the way that it's explained by Levy is Greta's the viewer and the hand is the screen and she's totally connected to it. The hand and the arm are part of her, but but you're removed from it as well and you aren't overly removed or too inside. You're not handheld and the camera isn't just another person in the room. They talked about how In this pre-production process, they had printed photos of Greta herself from her yearbooks and then photos from a French photographer, and and they made them printed through, like, an inexpensive printer. And all these images looked distressed, and so over time, Greta and Levy had had found that this sort of hand-distressed image and the idea of memory went together so well. And so instead of adding an artificial grain, which you can in post-production, they actually embrace that technology because it has a sort of digital noise on the Alexa that feels very organic. And they viewed it as handmade in the sense that it creates multiple photocopies and it looks layered, which I totally agree with. I think there's a warmth and a life to the way it's filmed. The frames are simple, but they say so much. And I really appreciate that process that they went through. My final little snippet on my huge list of why I love Lady Bird and what makes it so unique is what I call the letters. So the last section of the film where Lady Bird is in New York, she has not been talking to her mother. Her mom doesn't even say goodbye when she goes away to college. She's very stubborn. And in her suitcase, which she doesn't look at until she's in her dorm in New York, are a bunch of pieces of notepad paper, like yellow and lined, from her mom that she had written and thrown away. Her dad snuck them in. And I actually sat here because I really care about what they say. I sat and I paused every letter that they show and I wrote out what they say. And I just want to read them as our final little moment before I do the Q&A. 
because I think it's really important to understand what the mom has been thinking because we are primarily looking through Ladybird. The first letter says, Dear Ladybird, when I was pregnant with you, it was a miracle. I was older, I was almost 42, and we had Miguel, and it seemed like it would never happen, and then you arrived. I loved you without knowing you. I loved you when you were just barely an idea. When you arrived at 7 p.m. after 12 hours of labor, I recognized you. I knew that you were my girl. Watching you grow up has been one of the most wonderful adventures of my life. You are always you, stubborn and funny and loving and competitive and brilliant. I wish we could be friends, and I don't know what started to go off the tracks. I want to tell you I love you. The next letter says, Dear Christine, I know you go by Ladybird now, and I think it's very sweet, but I think of you when I named you Christine. The next says, Dear Ladybird, I am sorry that we fight, and I'm sorry that we are so hard on each other. I've been too hard on you. I love you and don't mean to be so at odds with you. I am amazed by you. You are smart and beautiful and funny, and I don't think that you know I think that. I think that you are extraordinary. Every time I look at you, I can't believe you're my daughter. I wish we had the relationship that you have with your dad. You always were a daddy's girl. I'd spend all day with you, but when dad came home, you would be so happy, I'd just run to him. Maybe I was jealous. And then Ladybird calls her dad and and she asks about these letters, and her dad says, I just wanted you to see them. She was worried that there would be errors or mistakes or something and that you'd judge her writing abilities. And I think that's so interesting is it seems that the mom doesn't really care what Ladybird thinks so much, which I guess makes sense. Like, moms don't have to care. It's a different role. But it's clear that she does heavily care what Ladybird thinks and how she views her, maybe because she always seemed to prefer her dad, and she's jealous of that relationship, and she envies it. And she said more than once in the film that she's the villain. She's the bad guy who puts her foot down and dad's sweet. And that doesn't mean dad's not a nice guy, but it doesn't mean mom's mean. And and I can understand why she feels this way. And the fact that she threw all these letters out because she didn't know how to put into words the way she felt. And she wasn't even worried about saying it wrong, but about what Ladybird would think. If Ladybird would notice that she said something weird and view her differently for it. It just proves so much that Ladybird and her mother, at, at their core at the core of the relationship, want to, to feel love and affection from the other and can't figure out how to get that. And that, I think, is so much of what makes them feel so upset with each other and so disconnected is how badly they want to connect and the fact that they can't figure out how to. And so that was my two cents. I mean, really, there's 12 freaking things I talked about. That is just, when I view it, those are the things that stand out to me in the way that I can best explain them. I sort of am a rambler. I am going to answer a few questions because you sent them to me and I want you to hear what I think. The first question to me was, what do you think were the main takeaways from the film? What were some of your favorite lines? So I really think that love is attention is the thing that should be taken away most. And with that, the true complexity of never fully understanding someone else's position. Having to learn to look beyond oneself, it's very hard, but it's so necessary in understanding other people and other experiences and and that's what I think I take I take away most and what I would argue a lot of people should try to take away or hopefully naturally do there are a lot of lines that are very humorous I didn't talk a lot about the humor because I think what I value so much about the movie is what is serious about it and what is delicate and tender it's also very funny and Greta Gerwig is very funny so there are lines like 
when Lady Bird is acting like a dick at her assembly and this woman talking about how her mom didn't have an abortion and blah 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 and she says listen if your mother had had the abortion we wouldn't have to sit through this stupid assembly and it's really funny I mean she said what she had to say there's also a moment where <laughs> her brother is looking at Danny as he waits on the couch with the parents like awkwardly and says I think Lady Bird wants to make an entrance she's mad that we don't have a spiral staircase I just think that that is funny. It is funny, and it made me laugh. There's also two lines that I didn't talk about as much, but I really liked. Kyle does this thing a lot in his character where he looks for bigger issues as a way of putting life into perspective. I think because he doesn't want to view every trivial thing as so important, which is a really valuable thing, but it can be harmful. I really believe that pain is relative. I don't think it's fair at all to belittle someone's reaction to a certain event. I mean, for example, I don't think that it is fair to say that I don't have a right to be upset that my stomach hurts, which it always does, by the way. Thanks for asking. Or that I twisted my ankle, or my boyfriend was mean, or me and my roommate got into a fight about something dumb just because somebody's really sick right now or, or there's a war going on. I don't think that's fair. And he tries to place that on her, and she says, different things can be sad, it's not all war. I think that's just a really simple, great way to say what I said, which is that pain is relative and different things can be sad. My stomach is growling so intensely because I never ate. That's my stomach and I'm sorry. Another line that I loved is between Julie and Ladybird when they make up right before prom and Julie's really upset. She's crying on the couch and Ladybird asks her why she's crying. And she says, I'm just crying. Some people aren't built happy don't really have anything to say about it. I just think it's unbelievable. I can't stress enough how much I really enjoy the way that Greta Gerwig writes. It doesn't feel like she's writing just to say stuff, if that makes any sense. And she's made clear in so many interviews that she lets things mull over and, and she wrote a 350-page screenplay knowing she'd cut it down when it got boring but wanting the characters to live for themselves before she decided what they got to do. I think that's so valuable. I think that's a great line. And I love Beanie Feldstein. I just wanted to add that one more time. Love Beanie Feldstein. We should all love Beanie Feldstein. Okay. Somebody asked, what do you make of her room, Ladybird's room, and how it has a personality of its own? Well said. I agree. It does have its own personality. It's like a character. And it's a really great representation of the way that Ladybird is. For example, she's got these pink walls. There's posters and butterflies and papers and all these things sort of stacked on top of each other it looks like she layers her life like when something happens to her her wall knows first which i really like i think that's like a very interesting way to view your your home space is a reflection of what's going on with you it does feel really natural that she reflects her life on her walls in that way and it feels like she doesn't calculate and it makes it so interesting when she likes boy she likes danny she writes danny's name on her wall wall i like danny like, she's announcing it for herself and for her space. Then, when Danny's over, she crosses him out and she writes Kyle. And then at the end of the film, when she's getting ready for college, you watch her take it all down and paint over it with white. And it's like she's truly, physically abandoning her youth, her adolescence, and these brief moments that, again, they feel trivial. I think that watching her paint over it is so interesting and, and watching as she marks her walls with her life as it goes and crossing things out but never covering them. Like, she doesn't cover Danny's name. She just crosses him out and writes something new. And I think that her room represents her in such an interesting way. 
And I really, I think I really appreciate that because it feels very, very ladybird. It feels like how she would be. Somebody asked, have you ever wanted to jump out of the car to escape a conversation with a parent? Um, I have. Haven't we all? Haven't we all just wanted to fucking hop out of the car and risk a broken arm and a crazy cast that doesn't match any of your outfits just because your parents are pissing you off? I think we've all had this. (laughs) It's a very natural feeling, especially at that sort of age. Like, I'm only 21 and it still happens. Somebody asked me what I think of the score. I adore the score. It's a lot of what made me feel emotional, I think, because it is a perfect backtrack. And they really do guide the emotionality of every scene and every moment where we watch a facial expression or or a moment of body language. There is a lot of movement, which is very stage acty, you know, like theater to have so much movement of the body. And every character does this. I really like that. And then the score just underlines it perfectly. And and so the the scene that I remember best in terms of where I loved the score and it really made me feel a specific way for a specific reason was when Danny is breaking down for Christine and we immediately flip to her mother and the theater teacher and they're both the person that's being confided in and they're trying to provide support and protection for the people that they care about. And there's this beautiful sort of melody in the back. I, th- I believe it has piano. I'm a huge piano person. Huge fan. I do think it complements the film and I really like it. Somebody asked me my favorite scene, the dressing room scene, undoubtedly watching them in the reflection of the mirror, Lady Bird so desperately trying to feel like from her mother instead of love, I think. It's unbelievable and it's my favorite. It makes me upset, but in the really fun way that movies can, means they're working. The last two questions I have, one being which character did you relate to most? And the second being, what is something you wish they included in the film? I definitely think I related most to Lady Bird. I think what I connected with with Lady Bird was that feeling of trying to understand the people around you and feeling lost and wanting things and not knowing how to get them. And what would you give? What's the cost of your desires? Is your expectation for people and experiences the same as reality? It never is. And I think I've experienced that so many times. And especially in high school and now in college, I really understand Lady Bird's feeling lost and the way that she jumps at ideas and then that disappointment that follows. (sighs) I just do really relate to her. If I could change anything about the film or something I wish they included, I think it would just have to be that I wish the film showed us more of the father as a person and not just a dad. Because it's the thing that I liked the most about the mom is that she was a person. She wasn't just a mother. And the dad means so much to Lady Bird. He, he is so close to her and he's there and he protects her. But we don't see much of him. And I think that the film clearly hones in on the mother-daughter relationship for a reason. And it works so well and I understand. But I do think that so many of Lady Bird's feelings for her mom relate to her feelings for her father. And so showing more of him would have been deserved. He deserved a few more glimpses of life. So... Those are the questions. Thank you to everyone who sent them in. I really appreciate it. I've been talking for God knows how long. It's insane. I also have to head to mock trial practice. And yes, I will be getting a coffee first. I have a gift card from Hanukkah. (sighs) Okay. Thank you so much for tuning in. I seriously appreciate it so much. And I don't even know how to put into the right words how it makes me feel to get a message or a comment or to see the number on Anchor and Spotify go up for how many people listen to the episode it is incalculable. So thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thanks. And 
I will be making many more episodes. I go home for winter break soon. We're about to do finals, but I'm home for at least three weeks. And yes, I will be doing at least two episodes. Please do tune in for those as well. And love you all. Mwah, mwah, mwah.